Good morning and happy Monday, August 15th to everyone. It is 7 a.m. You are listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network, and I am Adam Wright. Happy to be with you. Actually, you get me for a little bit more than an hour this morning. So we get a little bonus, a little bonus show today on the Solemnity of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so let us begin our morning in prayer as we always do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. O most blessed Mother, heart of love, heart of mercy, ever listening, caring, consoling, hear our prayer. As your children, we implore your intercession with Jesus, your Son. Receive with understanding and compassion the petitions we place before you today. We are comforted in knowing your heart is ever open to those who ask for your prayer. We trust to your gentle care and intercession those whom we love and who are sick or lonely or hurting. Help all of us, Holy Mother, to bear our burdens in this life until we share eternal life in peace with God forever. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Happy Solemnity to you, a day worth celebrating, a day where it is fitting to celebrate. You know, this is one of those days that truly we live out that maxim as Catholics. We don't fast on feasting days. We don't feast on fasting days either. Um, and certainly this is a day where we feast. It's, it's a beautiful solemnity, a beautiful day to reflect upon the Blessed Mother and our Lord's great love for her. I think that's probably my number one takeaway on this solemnity is our Lord's great love for his mother. You know, that her when her time on this earth ended, it ended in a way that mine... Uh, barring any unforeseen changes and what normally happens when people die, mine will probably not end this way, neither will yours. But our dear Lord loved his mother so much that he took her to heaven, not just her soul, but her body. And uh, what a beautiful thing. Today on the show, we're going to be talking with Doug Barry about spiritual warfare. Last week, we were talking about uh, some of the the what's, uh, you know, what is spiritual warfare? Who are we fighting against, etc.? Today we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to start talking about the how do we engage in the battle with Doug. We're also going to check back in with Father Kirby. I know we were just with him last Thursday, but we're going to check in with him about today's great feast, the Assumption. Last time we were talking about St. Maximilian Kolbe, who was yesterday. And I have to tell you, having talked about St. Maximilian Kolbe with Father Kirby last week, I actually observed several things yesterday and took note of some things that were being posted and shared elsewhere because I was stopping intentionally to think about him, even though it was also the Sunday of Ordinary Time and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, We're going to be talking this morning. We're starting four days with Dr. Scott Hahn. And how wonderful is this that Dr. Hahn's taken some time to be with us yet again. So in the uh, second half hour of this first hour, We'll be talking with Dr. Scott Hahn about the Blessed Mother and her title, The New Eve. Um, After that, you know, we'll do the normal end-of-the-hour stuff, daily dose of encouragement. We'll get you the weather again, and then we'll be with you for the first part of the 8 o'clock hour as we uh, 
just have you know so much to fit in the show. We had to run over a little bit this morning. So speaking of so much to fit in the show, let's go now to Mike Roberts for a check of today's weather. This is the solemnity of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. On November 1st, 1950, Pope Pius XII released Munificentissimus Deus, the defining dogma on the Assumption of the Blessed Mother, in which he declares through papal infallibility that the Virgin Mary, having completed the course of her earthly life, was assumed body and soul into heaven. Today we will hear in Revelation... A great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was with child and wailed aloud in pain as she labored to give birth. Then another sign, a huge red dragon. The dragon stood before the woman about to give birth to devour her child. She gave birth to a son destined to rule all the nations. Her child was caught up to God and his throne. The woman herself fled into the desert where she had a place prepared by God. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have salvation and power come, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his anointed one. And then in Luke we will hear from Mary herself as she begins the Magnificat. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit exalts in God my Savior. Blessed Mother, Queen of heaven and earth, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. When I was a young boy, I would sometimes spend the night at my grandmother's house. And, you know, for whatever reason, my parents were going out somewhere. And sometimes it was just because there was inclement weather forecast. And my grandma lived right by the school. And on the off chance that we did have school and not a snow day, we could easily walk from her house to the school. And I'll never forget that every morning she would wake up with her radio. And it wasn't Covenant Network because Covenant Network is celebrating our 25th anniversary. This is a little bit more than 25 years ago. But every morning her radio would go off. And every morning the station she tuned into would play two things. A Morning March and the Our Father. And that always struck me that they would give the first part of the morning, they would give honor to God the Father. Well, in that spirit this morning, for the first part of our morning together, being the Solemnity of the Assumption, I'd like to give honor to the Blessed Virgin Mary through a beautiful song. And then when we come back, we'll be talking with Doug Berry. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Uh, Let's celebrate today. Invocation of the Nine Choirs of Angels. O holy angels, watch over us at all times during this perilous life. O holy archangels, be our guides on the way to heaven. O heavenly choir of the principalities, govern us in soul and body. O mighty powers, preserve us against the wiles of the demons. O celestial virtues, give us strength and courage in the battle of life. O powerful dominations, obtain for us dominion over the rebellion of our flesh. O sacred thrones, grant us peace with God and man. O brilliant cherubim, illumine our minds with heavenly knowledge. O burning seraphim, enkindle in our hearts the fire of charity. Amen. Well, last week we were talking with Doug Berry about the reality of spiritual warfare, what we need to know, and what our role is. This week we're going to talk about some of the tools that our Lord gives us through the church 
to engage because, Doug, as you said last week, we have to be willing to commit to engage in this battle for the rest of our lives. So let's start with some of the basics here. And I'm thinking of things we see people wear all the time, the metals, the scapulars, etc. What are some of these tools we have as we jump into this fight? Yeah, sacramentals, really. And this is something that's been a tradition in the history history of the church forever. This is what's so powerful is that God gives us these sacramentals, these outward signs. I kind of look at things like the scapular metals and so forth as kind of like a sign that, you know, you might hang in your window that says this house is protected by Smith & Wesson. Or you've got a security sign out there, ADT or something. You're sending a message to the bad guys that I'm standing my ground and this is where I am on this. Now, that doesn't stop the bad guy maybe from still coming in. So wearing a scapular doesn't mean that the devil's still not going to attack. You know, blessing yourself with holy water, bless salt, bless metals, the miraculous metal, the St. Benedict medal, you know, having a St. Benedict medal hung above your door. Or I know some who will take small mini scapulars and wrap them around the exterior doors on the inside of the house, but all the exterior doors of their house. And I know Carmelite Order that actually really, at least one that I know directly, really encourages this. Why do these things? Does it mean a bad guy's not going to come through that door under that metal that's hanging from St. Benedict on that door? No, it doesn't mean that they're not going to do that. But there is a spiritual component to this. The sacramentals are what we're taught always help prepare us or dispose us to receive grace, especially grace of the sacraments. So it's a part of the whole picture. And people need to realize that they're not good luck charms. You don't just put a scapular and say, no, I can do whatever I want. You still have to live a life that abides by what the scapular speaks to, which is really it's an outward sign around your neck. It's a physical sign that you have given your life over to Jesus through Mary. Scapular, the history of these uh, sacramentals, like the miraculous medal or the scapular, are just they're phenomenal to know about and learn about. And they deepen your faith even when you start to develop this understanding and knowledge of how they came into existence. 1251, St. Simon Stock in England, Our Lady appears as Our Lady of Mount Carmel. But she's not at Mount Carmel. That's over in the Holy Land. What's going on here? We'll go back to Scripture. Look up Mount Carmel. Look at the great battle that happened on Mount Carmel, one in particular, of Elijah against the 450 false prophets of Baal, that evil demon Baal. And look at what happened where Elijah engages in this battle. Everybody, go look this up. Why would Our Lady come as Our Lady of Mount Carmel to St. Simon Stock in England in 1251 if there wasn't some connection to what happened on Mount Carmel, the spiritual battle that Elijah engaged in? Looking at the picture here makes that scapular have even more meaning. So when she says to St. Simon Stock, those who die wearing this will not suffer the fires of hell. Clearly, you got to live a life that abides by what it means, but it is a sign from Our Lady, so ultimately from God. Okay, because Mary does not do anything that is not approved of or directed, of course, by her son. So this is God saying to us through Our Lady, this is an important outward sacramental sign. But there are other sacraments, sacramentals out there as well. People need to understand the meaning behind them by knowing the history of them and then using them. I have blessed salt and exercise blessed salt and holy water on my desk. I keep it in my backpack when I travel. So I'll, I'll put it in the rental car. I, I bless the rental car. I put blessed salt in the vents of the rental car, the air vents, because they, they're never going to get it out. Okay. It, it also helps with gas mileage, you know, just a little bit. Okay. Well, maybe not. But what it does do is it, it's, it's calling on God. Does that prevent me from getting in an accident or having a flat tire? No, it's not going to prevent it. But I am giving over to God. I'm giving over the moment and the vehicle at that time to God. So get those sacramentals involved in your life. Learn the history behind them. Incorporate them into your day. 
Bless your home every day with holy water. Bless your loved ones with holy water, especially if you have spiritual authority over them, as we talked about in the past, staying in your lane. These are great pieces, and they deepen your faith and help prepare you to receive the grace of God. Doug, I want to ask you about this because I'm confident there's at least one listener out there that might be saying, hold on, you want me to go through my house sprinkling salt or, or, or sprinkling holy water? That seems a little ridiculous. I'm, I'm, I'm not disagreeing in the power of it, but you know, pride starts to get in the way and we say, I don't know that I can do that. I, my wife's going to look at me funny if I start sprinkling her with holy water. Yeah, I was actually asked that question a long time ago by a priest. My wife and I were just newly married, pregnant with our first child, actually. So we've been married about a year, just over a year. We're just a few months pregnant. And I'm meeting with this priest, and he looks at me, and he says, so, Doug, do you bless your home, your wife, and the baby in the womb with holy water? I said, well, I said, no. He said, well, why not? Very matter of fact. There was no nice coddling approach here. Well, here's something to consider, Doug. No, he looked at me, and he said, why not? And I jokingly, because I was uncomfortable, said, well, I'd have to hire a bunch of monks, you know, play some Gregorian chant, light some incense. Ha, ha, ha. He didn't laugh. He explained a bit more about the spiritual battle, and then he put his finger up to me, and he looked at me, and he said, Doug, look, Satan's trying to destroy your family. You are the head of the house. You are the first line of defense. What are you doing about it? So I went home that night with a bottle of holy water, because he gave it to me, and I was so brave, so courageous, so tough, so strong that I waited till my wife went to bed before I could do this, right? So the gutless, cowardly side is coming out of me at this moment, which was very real and very important for me to look at myself at that moment, see where I'm, I'm just not strong here yet, right? I'm a spiritual sissy. So she goes to bed and I start sprinkling holy water around this little apartment that we had. And my prayer was simply this, Lord, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know I need to do something. Put a drop of holy water on my finger as the priest had encouraged me, trace the sign of the cross above the doorways, and then I open the bedroom door and there's my wife. Now I'm thinking I just got to walk over and bless her. She's asleep. She's not even going to know, but I couldn't do it. It's like my feet were stuck to the floor. So from the doorway, I flung the holy water in the air and it hit her right across the face. And she sat up and she, she woke up. She looked at me. She saw me standing in the doorway. I'm trying to blend into the door and pretend, you know, just don't move and she won't see you. And she looks at me and says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm blessing the apartment with holy water, you know, just real, again, spiritually sissified. And she says, oh, okay. And she goes back to sleep. I close the door. I put the holy water down. And I said, I'm never doing that again. Because as you mentioned, the pride, it gets in the way. And we feel funny doing it. Therefore, we don't do it. Well, in the spiritual realm, look, feeling funny for doing certain spiritual practices that are actually powerful, we got to get over that and fast. So the next morning at breakfast, she says to me, I had a funny dream last night. So what was that? Well, I dreamt through a blessing apartment with holy water. And I'm eating my cereal, and I kind of muttered under my breath, well, yes, I guess I was doing that. And she said to me later, she said, I realized at that moment, not only are you trying to take care of our home by putting food on the table and all, you're trying to take care of us spiritually. And she was beaming. And when that happened, my chest just puffed up. That's right. That's right. You married the right guy. It was that acknowledgement naturally that helped me recognize that what I was doing spiritually was important. So I encourage people out there, bring the holy water into the day, bring the blessed salt into the day, make it part of your life, put a touch of blessed salt, a few drops of holy water in your food even. I do that regularly. Engage in the sacramentals. Don't be a spiritual sissy. The demons love the spiritual sissy. Don't be that. All right. Step one today, if we summarize it, it's like this. Use the tools that our Lord has given us through yep. the church, the sacramentals. Doug, tomorrow we're going to be talking about devotion, so listeners, tune in for that. Uh, we're going to share some prayers with you that should be part of your discipline. Until then, Doug, have a great day. Thank you, my friend. You too.
Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I adore you profoundly, and I offer you the most precious body, blood, soul, and divinity of your Son, Jesus Christ, present in all the tabernacles of the world, in reparation for the outrages, sacrileges, and indifferences by which he is offended, and by the infinite merits of his most sacred heart, and through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I beg the conversion of poor sinners. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. It's a beautiful day today, and uh, no, Mr. Rogers isn't here, but I, you know, I'd welcome him on the show if he were still alive. I would always love to have Mr. Rogers on the show, but it's a beautiful day because it's a day devoted to our Blessed Mother. It is the day we celebrate her assumption in to heaven. Now, we were talking about yesterday's saint, St. Maximilian Kolbe, who often gets overshadowed by the Blessed Mother's assumption. And again, I don't think that St. Maximilian Kolbe would raise a fit about that, and neither did Father Kirby. And we're actually really lucky that Father Kirby is back with us today as we kind of continue this twofold celebration. Uh, yesterday, St. Maximilian Kolbe, today, the Blessed Mother. Father Kirby, it's good to have you back with us. And I got to let you know, after we wrapped up that interview, I was doing a little math. My first date with my wife was 15 years ago on August 14th. Wow. And, you know, we were attributing it to the providence uh, that the date worked out, that it was the vigil of the Assumption. Well, little did I know then that that day of our first date, there would be a saint being celebrated who, honestly, you know, we, we kept talking about love conquers. That has been, in different phrasing, at the core of our marriage, that through all of the strife and through all of the struggles and in all of the good times and all of the bad, sickness and health, all of those things we talk about in the wedding ceremony, love conquers. And, you know, I love it. I don't think it's coincidence, I love it when the, when things uh, work out like this. So, But that was yesterday. Today we're talking about the Blessed Mother, Father. There's a lot to talk about here. The Assumption of Mary. Now, we think of the Ascension of Jesus, that the apostles were gathered there, and he just started going up into the heavens. I mean, he's alive. He, he talks with them before he goes, and they say, don't go, and he, he goes. He he's, ascends into heaven. <laughs> that one's actually really easy to comprehend in my head. But when we talk about the Assumption, this is one of those great mysteries that as much as I think I know about about it, I find that there's still more to know about it. So before we begin, could you give our listeners just the, the little 30,000-foot overview of what we're talking about when we talk about Mary's Assumption? Yeah, so the, the Assumption is that at the end of Our Lady's earthly life, she was taken up into heaven, body and soul. So we know that when we die, we uh, of course our souls will go uh, to their place of reward, to heaven or hell, but our bodies will rest in the earth until the end of time. And that's a consequence, actually, of sin. So so we suffer the corruptibility of, of our bodies. But Our Lady, who had no sin, at the end of her earthly life, body and soul was assumed into paradise. So, so there's no body of Our Lady here on earth. No one has ever claimed to have a portion of her body. There were no ancient churches built, you know, for her body. It's never been within the Christian tradition to think that Our Lady died or that somehow she was buried here, but no body and soul at the end of her earthly life was assumed into heaven. And I will say there's a beautiful Franciscan tradition that says Our Lady was about 73 years old at the end of her earthly life. The Franciscan crown is a beautiful devotion in which there are 73 Hail Marys in honor of those 73 years of Our Lady's life. 
Wow. If I can throw in one of my favorite ways we celebrate the Assumption, I believe it's our brothers and sisters in the Eastern Catholic churches that speak about Mary's great dormition. And this has been one of those things that, you know, what happened at the moment of her death? Did she just vanish? Was she assumed into heaven that way? And there's even been, if I remember correctly, some debate about, you know, was it more like just going to sleep, that, that she went to sleep and then was assumed into heaven? Now, we believe that she died, but how much time elapsed between her actual death and her assumption into heaven? And I would imagine that if that happened to you or to I, it would probably maybe be like falling asleep on this earth and then waking up in heaven. Yes, yes. And I'll tell you this, Adam, that the theological tradition actually avoids the term death when we speak of Our Lady. So we say that at the end of her earthly life, because oh, yeah. in many respects we're, we're not sure what that looked like. Um, you know, no other human being was given that honor to be conceived without sin and then to be assumed body and soul into paradise. So we actually say at the end of her earthly life, and we actually avoid theologically of speaking about her death because we don't really want that word associated with Our Lady because, you know, death is, is a consequence of sin. And so, you know, certainly in popular jargon, we might reference that. I think it'd be helpful just to see theologically, we try to avoid that term. And what's interesting with Our Lady's assumption, if we go back, if we had no sin, if our first parents had not sinned, if we had not lost those original gifts that were given to our human nature at the beginning of time, that's what we would have all experienced. There wouldn't have been this, you know, harsh division between uh, existence and non-existence. There wouldn't be what, what we think of in terms of death, where our bodies and souls, you know, our body and soul are separated. Like, theological definition of death, the soul is taken from the body. And in an assumption, that doesn't happen. And so speculative theology says that if our first parents had not sinned, then at the end of their earthly lives, body and soul, they would have been assumed into paradise. So Our Lady actually is experiencing the original inheritance that would have been all of ours if we had not thought we knew better and committed and created a world of sin. Father Kirby, I think you just pulled the Roadmap to Heaven equivalent of saying, I know that looks like where you're supposed to turn, but trust me, don't turn there. That's not the actual turn. <laughs> so, you know, e- even even I get things wrong, and I'm, I'm glad to stand corrected here. Now, we're, we're talking about what the assumption is, but our focus is not just what the assumption was, but it's also on what it calls us to. And number one, you ever go somewhere and you see something, someone and what they're wearing or maybe some pin they have on their lapel or a crown or a sash makes you say, hey, that person must be really important. There's probably something I should know here. Well, the fact that we've stopped to honor Mary on this day should be a big flashing neon sign to say there's something we need to know here. So what are we called to today as we celebrate uh, Mary's Assumption? Yes, yes. And, and Adam, just to, to, to emphasize that you know this would normally be a holy day of obligation, just to show that not only is today a, a day to honor Our Lady, not only a feast day, but you know the Church has a great way Mother Church is a great teacher, and when she mentions Holy Day of Obligation, it's a way of really stressing and hopefully waking up the spiritual awareness of, of the people of God to say, wait a minute, like, yeah, what, as we're saying, like, what does this mean? Like, what, what is this supposed to do in terms of my own discipleship? And, and what I would say is, in terms of some possible reflections on this Holy Day, is first to ask ourselves if we really understand the tragedy of sin. We 
live in a world of sin. We are ourselves sinners, and so we get used to it, and we start thinking that this is normal, that sin is normal, but it's not. And in the assumption, we, we realize a glimpse, we see a glimpse in our lady's life of what we lost because of sin. And then by application, we can look at all the other situations in our lives. What virtue or blessing or grace or relationship or whatever it might be, what have I lost at times because of sin? And to allow the rejoicing of this feast day to be prompted by the grieving of sin, to realize sin lies, it's a thief, it it takes what doesn't belong to it, and yet oftentimes we allow sin, this false throne, in our own hearts or in our world. And so I think that might be one reflection, is we see today the full triumph of grace and what God wants to continue to do in our lives. So in that battle between sin, between pride and grace and, and, and you know God's providence, like how are we doing in that battle? And do we realize the consequences of when we surrender to that false kingdom of sin? I love the way that venerable servant of God, Fulton Sheen, Archbishop Sheen, put this, that if you think about an artist or a sculptor or an architect, that they have a vision in their mind for what the the final painting or sculpture or building will look like. But then somewhere in the actual application of the brush to the canvas or the tools to the clay or the contractors to the materials, somewhere in there things change a little bit in the vision maybe that the architect or artist had in their head and what actually materializes, it's a little different, or sometimes it's a lot different. And yet Archbishop Sheen tells us that God's design for what a woman is and and who women are called to be is perfectly encapsulated in the Blessed Mother, that she is the example par excellence. And Father, I think that, you know, from what you've just said and and my own devotion to the Blessed Mother today really is a great reminder for us of what we are called to be, of where, where the bar is set. And, you know, yes, am I a sinner? Of course. Are you a sinner? Of course. We all sin. And yet our Lord offers us through his grace the ability to have that sin wiped away, to have the indwelling of sanctifying grace in our souls so that we could also be with the Blessed Mother and with her Son and with the Father and with the Holy Spirit in heaven. Amen. And I I tell you, that's, and as you describe that and as the listeners hear that, and I pray that their hearts are filled, each of our hearts are filled with the joy and the hope that comes with that powerful message that's been given to us. Now, on this feast day, we see the triumph of grace, you know, the hope of salvation, a clear, breathing witness to what God wants to do in each of our lives, the goodness of God, the power of God, and that He wants to just bring that power and that goodness into each of our lives. Amen. Well, Father, I think a great way to close out our time today would be to uh, pray through the intercession of our Blessed Mother. Could I ask you to lead us in prayer? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son and for the witness of Our Lady. We thank you for all that you did in her life and the witness that you have made her to be. In our own discipleship, we ask that you continue to pour your grace into our hearts. On this feast day, let us allow the grace of God to triumph. We ask you, Father, to to give us that grace, and we ask these in all good things to Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, the celebration isn't concluded today. We're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven 
We'll be back with some more of the show after this. Prayer for the Gift of Prudence Jesus, artful master of parables, your prudence eluded the hypocrites. Your actions were known before creation, displaying all the wisdom of your prudence. Eternity must have attended to minutia. Being prudent in your best interest, you considered all potential consequences, securing the outcome of your earthly life. Grant me the prudence to always be cautious and sensitive to the basic needs of others. Jesus, you have shown great foresight. Prudence truly originates from your being. Amen. We are happy to be talking with Dr. Scott Hahn today on Roadmap to Heaven about one of, I'm going to say one of my favorite people, one of my favorite saints. And Dr. Hahn, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that our topic today is also one of your favorite saints. And that, of course, is the Queen of All Saints, the Blessed Mother. And in this month of August, where we, in our devotional life, turn to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, we've got such great solemnities, such as the Assumption, the Coronation of Mary. It's, she's a beautiful saint to celebrate. Absolutely, Adam. And yes, she is number one on my list precisely because she seems to be number one on Jesus' list. Uh, He has poured his blessings and graces into her as a loving son would do for his mother if he could, and he did. And so I just think we have good reasons to celebrate her year-round, but especially, as you said, in this month. Indeed. Well, Dr. Hahn, I want to start with this question today, and I know we're going to probably talk about the Blessed Mother in several different ways, but one of the titles that we hear of the Blessed Mother is the New Eve. And of course, this presumes that there was a previous Eve. I'm not going to say an old Eve, but that there was an original Eve, and now there's a new Eve. I wonder if you could share with us from scriptures, why do we refer to Mary as the new Eve? Well, first of all, this is not something that is highly original. It originates back in the second century, and it already is implied in much of what Paul is saying in his epistles. And I'm thinking especially of Romans 5 and in 1 Corinthians 15, where he speaks of Jesus as the last Adam, the new Adam, who ushers in not only a new covenant, but a new creation. And so this goes all the way back to the old creation, established in Genesis 1, consecrated in 2, and then desecrated in 3, with the transgression of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And there we find the first gospel. You know, when you look at Genesis 3.15, you see the promise of the gospel stated for the first explicit time, and that is where the ancient serpent who has conquered the first Eve is going to be conquered by this figure called the woman, and the woman and her seed. And so the woman's seed will crush the head of the serpent. And so that is enough for us to run with, to see that this is like the acorn of which the new covenant becomes the oak tree. It's planted, it's nurtured, and it develops over the time we call salvation history in a series of promises and covenant renewals. And this is why it comes down to reading Scripture in the tradition and recognizing that as there was an old creation and a first Adam and Eve, so there is a new creation and a new Adam and Eve. And this is not really something invented even in the second century, because, as I mentioned, it's implied on the pages of Scripture. And where do the early Church Fathers point? Well, not surprisingly, they point to John 1. In John 1, you hear an echo of Genesis 1. Genesis 1 begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, 
And how did he do it? By the power of his word. And in John 1, we have the prologue, and it starts, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And it goes on to describe in the prologue in verse 14 how the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But as you know, Genesis 1 and 2 unfolds in a sequence of days, but what often goes unnoticed is that John 1 and 2 also unfolds in a sequence of days. In verse 29, and in verse 35, and in verse 43 of John chapter 1, you have this sequence of the next day, the next day, the next day. And by the time you've gotten to verse 43, and you hear the next day for the third time, do the math, you've come to the fourth day. And just as Genesis 2 culminates with this sixth day, well, when God created man, male and female, but in Genesis 2, he creates the male first, and then he awakens from the deep sleep, and he discovers the female, whom he calls woman. And so likewise, in John 2, verse 1, we read, on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. The third day counting back from when? Well, the last day that was mentioned. What was the last day mentioned? Well, that was day four, back in verse 43. So four plus three adds up to the seventh day in John's narrative. And so once again, there is a wedding at the culmination of John 1 and 2. We don't know the names of the bride and the groom. The only two characters that are mentioned are Jesus and Mary, but he doesn't call her Mary. He doesn't call her mom. He calls her Gunai, the same term from the Septuagint there in Genesis 2, where Adam awakens and sees Eve. And so this already is seen by Irenaeus and Justin Martyr as an indication that what is happening at the beginning of John's Gospel is more than just the incarnational debut of a solitary character. No, it's a new creation, and there is a new Adam, and he comes to the seventh day, and he recognizes his mother as a woman, and thus begins to inaugurate what ends up being the fulfillment of everything that promised in the Old Covenant, including a new Eve. And so this new covenant is not just made with Jesus and each and every one of us, because a covenant is more than a contract. It's more than an individualistic relationship. It really is a family bond. And so just as you had it in the old, so even more in the new, you have this new covenant, this new family, where Jesus, as the new Adam, becomes the founding father of a new humanity. But likewise, the Blessed Virgin is woman, and thus she becomes the new Eve. And you can trace this trajectory from John 2 all the way to John 19, where the Blessed Virgin makes her final appearance, and that is at the foot of the cross, where once again Jesus announces this time that she will be the mother of the beloved disciple. Behold your son, and likewise to the beloved disciple, behold your mother. Well, the beloved disciple is not, you know, exclusively given to her. All of us are beloved disciples, so all of us are given to her to be the spiritual offspring of the new Eve through the sacrifice of Christ there at the cross. And so we could gather up more elements and see what the early Church Fathers found, that just as the old Adam and Eve were tested in a garden, so the new Adam goes to Gethsemane, and whereas they went to the wrong tree, he goes to the right one, and whereas she is coaxing him to disobey, the Blessed Virgin is there giving her heartfelt consent to the self-offering of her son, and hears this amazing declaration 
that she is going to be the mother of all of God's children in the order of grace, that constitutes what we call the New Covenant. And obviously, Adam, we could go on and on, but, you know, just laying out the basic contours of this typology indicate the biblical foundation for why we refer to her as the New Eve. And by the second century, you're off and running. You're off to the races. You're going to find this not being debated, but really being celebrated, contemplated, and proclaimed in the homilies and in the letters of the early Church Fathers for at least the first 500 years and beyond. Well, Dr. Hahn, this may be a crude analogy, but it, it sounds as if, you know, in God's original plan, he creates man and he creates woman. And what do we do? We sin. We mess up the plan. And rather than abandoning creation, God says, okay, we're going to start this over again. We're going to do this again. We're going to have a new man and a new woman. And they're going to make, you know, not through predestination, but through the Blessed Mother's own free choice, because the new man, of course, is the second person of the Holy Trinity, Jesus who is God, but humanity is not doomed in this. We, we have a new Eve and a new Adam, and we're very grateful for that. Yeah, and you're right in suggesting that what we have here is a new plan. It, what, what's also implied is that while we have our free will, we don't have it perfectly, but at the same time we have it sufficiently so that we can obey or disobey, and our first parents disobeyed. But what requires sort of what we could describe as the the eyes of faith or a supernatural vision is to recognize that the new covenant is more than just a salvaging operation it's more than plan b it's more than a divine recovery of the mess that our first parents made and we continued it really is a sense in which this is what god intended from the beginning now i mean that's so mysterious it's sort of sort of hard to see this but i would say that what we have in the New Covenant is really plan A. That is the fulfillment of what God intended in creation. And so when you go back to creation, to the Old Covenant, and to the first Adam and Eve, what you find is something of a prototype, or you could say a rough draft, or what architects have in terms of a scale model. Now we're constructing a new building for the St. Paul Center. And when we see the scale model, we realize it's too small for us to move in, but that's not what a scale model is for. It indicates what the finished product will be. And so when you're looking at the divine architect, it's helpful to remember, I, I sincerely believe, what Aristotle once said, and St. Thomas Aquinas and many others quote him, and that is, what is last in execution is first in intention. And so the first thing that God executes is the old creation. But what is last in execution is the new heavens, the new earth, the bride of the Lamb. And so the concluding chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, indicate the rivers of living water. They indicate the idea of paradise being restored, but on a much greater level. So more than salvaging all of this, what we discover is that the prototype, the rough draft, the scale model, the old covenant, was always intended by God to be what he executed first, but then what you find out is when you fast forward and look at the end, you realize, ah, that was last in execution, that was first in intention, that in fact was plan A, to God be all the glory, because, you know, as we go through time, we're weak, but his strength is made perfect in our weakness. 
And so while we have the flesh and blood we got from our parents going all the way back to our first parents in the Garden of Eden, we recognize what theologians call an analogy. That is, the Old Covenant is a natural family that's human, but the New Covenant is a supernatural family, and this is why we refer to it as the New and Eternal Covenant, because the Father from whom it springs is the first person of the Eternal Trinity, who sends his Son to give us the Spirit, and the Spirit overshadows the Blessed Virgin in order to empower her from her conception to be nothing less than the new Eve, and to be the one who embodies and personifies a creation that surpasses the old one. And at this point, I suspect our listeners' brains may be exploding, (laughs) so I'll press pause. But I think this is where the contemplative reading of Scripture is intended to take us. It makes me think of the analogy that uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen used, that if, if you have the artist and what the artist has in his or her mind and then what actually materializes on the canvas or in the clay or in the sculpture, it, sometimes there's a difference between what's pictured in the mind and what actually materializes. But when we look at the Blessed Mother, Archbishop Sheen would say that the Blessed Mother is the perfect realization of what woman is intended to be. And I I love the way that uh, you shared that with us, that the final execution is the the original intention. So, Dr. Hahn, I want to thank you for being with us today. I look forward to tomorrow's conversation about the Blessed Mother in this month of August. Until then, uh, have a wonderful day. Thank you, Adam. It's been great to be with you. All right. Friends, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Don't go anywhere. Active consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. O Virgin of Fatima, Mother of Mercy, Queen of Heaven and Earth, Refuge of Sinners, we consecrate ourselves to Thy Immaculate Heart. To Thee we consecrate our hearts, our souls, our families, and all that we have. And in order that this consecration may be truly effective and lasting, we renew today the promises of our baptism and confirmation, and we undertake to live as good Christians faithful to God, the Church, and the Holy Father. We desire to pray the Rosary, partake in the Holy Eucharist, attach special importance to the first Saturday of the month, and work for the conversion of sinners. Furthermore, we promised, O Most Holy Virgin, that we will zealously spread devotion to Thee, so that through our consecration to Thy Immaculate Heart, and through Thy own intercession, the coming of the Kingdom of Christ in the world may be hastened. Amen. Patty, I'm always excited for the new topic we're going to dive into on the Daily Dose of Encouragement. So I'm, I feel like I'm at the edge of the pool here before the season closes, ready to dive in. Tell us what's in the waters this week. Well, this week we are going to unpack portions of a book that my spiritual director shared with me. She translated this book written in Italian by Father Fabio Rossini, whom she says is like the Bishop Baron in Italy. He gives talks, he writes books, he's very reliable, well-known Italian priest. So he wrote wrote this book and the best translation of it is called The Art of Restarting. But again, it's not translated into English. So she just took nuggets of truth and gave them to me. And I've been pondering them 
And I just hope that they might help you as well. So this is about a topic of if you're starting over. Maybe you're starting over from one of the biggest mistakes in your life. Or maybe you're just starting over from a small misunderstanding between you and your spouse or your teenager. Whether you're starting over from a broken heart or from a previous job that didn't work out. The point being is we all need to start over sometimes. And in a certain sense, this describes the entire spiritual journey. We begin again and again after falling into sin. John Paul II in Redemptorist Mater, he said that starting over is the fundamental transformation, the one in which can be called original, constantly accompanying man on his journey through all the events of history. It's the transformation from falling to rising, from death to life. What do we do? We begin again, begin again. So today on this Monday, the first way to begin again from whatever it is, Father Rossini, he recommends that if you desire to restart or begin again in anything in your life, you have to go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning because hidden the beginning, there's the end. You got to go back to the beginning and ask yourself, how did I get here, right? How did this happen? And he says, sometimes what we have to do, it's a simple piece of advice. We have to just swallow swallow what has happened, even if it's been bad, to be able to start again. So he says, sometimes my own expectations are my own worst enemy, but we have to look at the beginning and say, where did I go wrong? What were my false expectations or my demands? Did I say something I shouldn't have? All of this is natural. Look at the beginning, go back and realize, okay, this is where I went wrong. And that's the only way we can begin to start anew and begin again. How many times do our computers tell us a problem has been encountered, please close your browser and restart, (laughs) and we do it without thinking? Who would have thought that this could be a lesson we could also take into our daily lives? Patty, thank you so much. One of the obstacles that Beth and I have been trying to figure out for the last couple months is praying the rosary. And one of the traps that we would fall into consistently is waiting to pray the rosary together. And on days that she would work at the hospital, it became increasingly difficult. And uh, we'd fall asleep, honestly, or we'd, we'd have so much to go through that we'd forget to go to that rosary together. So recently we talked about it and said, you know, I pray the rosary at the office and Um, So sometimes then at the end of the day, when you get home from work, I forget that we need to pray the rosary together because I've already prayed my rosary today. And she started praying the rosary on her drive to work and her drive home. And yet we said we still need to pray together, obviously. So one of the traditions we have implemented in our home in conjunction with our night prayers is the three Hail Mary devotion. And this is a wonderful, uh, we believe the first saint to recommend it was St. Anthony of Padua. But it's a pretty simple thing. Pray three Hail Marys. There's a little bit more to it than that. And in the next hour, I hope to get to that with you. But it's something that throughout the day, we all have the time to do. We all have time to pray three Hail Marys. So if you want to turn to the Blessed Mother on this solemnity, why not turn to her with three Hail Marys throughout the day? We'll talk more about that because there are some other prayers you can add on to that. We are going to come back and be with you for just a little bit of the next hour here on Roadmap to Heaven. We still have to get to Martinoni Monday and a few other things. So don't go anywhere. We're going to pause here at the end of the hour for a few minutes. 
get our station IDs and all of those things we have to do. And then at 8 o'clock, I'll be right back with you. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. Stay tuned. The Ave Maristella. Hail, bright star of ocean, God's own mother blessed, ever sinless virgin, gate of heavenly rest. Taking that sweet Ave, which from Gabriel came, peace confirm within us, changing Eva's name. Break the captor's fetters, light on blindness pour, all our ills expelling, every bliss implore. Show thyself a mother, may the word divine. Born for us thine infant, hear our prayers through thine. Virgin all excelling, mildest of the mild, freed from guilt preserve us, pure and undefiled. Keep our life all spotless, make our way secure, till we find in Jesus joy forevermore. Through the highest heaven, to the immortal three, Father, Son, and Spirit, one same glory be. Amen. All right. For those of you just joining us this morning at 8 a.m., I'm Adam Wright, and this is a little bonus edition of Roadmap to Heaven. We're going to be with you just for the first part of the hour here, and then we will join Catholic Connection, current, uh, which will be starting a little late today. So that, that's part of why we're with you a little bit long. So before the break there, I was talking to you about the, the three Hail Marys devotion, and I do want to share this before we go on here because it, it's important. Now, I do want to stress, this is not a substitute for praying the rosary every day. This is in addition to praying the rosary every day, and by all means, we should strive to pray that family rosary. Sometimes we succeed, sometimes we fail, but we should always strive for it. And, you know, like I said, Beth and I are kind of re evaluating some things to see how we can make that happen even on the most difficult days. And at the start of the school year is a good time to implement some new practices in the home. But back to the three Hail Marys devotion. I mentioned that the earliest recommendation of it comes to us from St. Anthony of Padua, and his aim was to honor the Blessed Mother and to preserve a perfect purity of mind, heart, and body in the midst of the dangers of the world. Later on, St. Leonard of Port Maurice had the three Hail Marys recited every morning and every evening in honor of the Immaculate Mother Mary, specifically asking to obtain the grace of avoiding all mortal sins during the day or night. And, uh, you know, throughout the saints that recommend this, they all say one thing, consistent with the saints who recommend the rosary. If you do this every day, not that it's a contractual quid pro quo, you do this and then you get that, um, that you would die in a good state. You'd have a good death, you know. Now, I always think of it this way. If you're striving to do God's will and you're constantly drawing near the Blessed Mother, who's constantly going to be drawing you near to her son, who's constantly going to be drawing you near to the Father and where the Father and the Son are, the Holy Spirit is always at work. Odds are good that you're going to be striving for holiness. And when you sin, you're going to be moved to repentance. And and probably the more you attach yourself in devotion to the Blessed Mother, and to our Lord, and to the Father, and to the Holy Spirit, the more that that contrition for sin is going to be a perfect contrition. You're going to be sorry for your sins because you love our Lord so much, because you love the Father so much, because you love the Holy Spirit so much, not just because you're afraid of dying 
outside of a state of grace and the punishments of hell, right? So it's like I said, I don't think it's a quid pro quo. I think it's a, you get into these good practices, you're going to grow in love. And the more you grow in love, the more you'll want to avoid sin, the more you'll ask for grace because we cannot do this without grace and we cannot get to heaven without sanctifying grace. And as I say all the time, you and I are not the providers of sanctifying grace, but we'll grow in love. So here's what you do every morning, every evening, recite three Hail Marys in honor of the Blessed Mother. And then at the end, oh, my mother, preserve me from mortal sin during this day. Or at the evening, oh, my mother, preserve me from mortal sin during this night. You can say that at the end of each Hail Mary. You can say that at the end of the three collective Hail Marys. We like to tag an Our Father on at the beginning and a glory be at the end. Because as I said, at nighttime, we're doing this as part of our night prayers. Uh, And so... What a beautiful thing. Ask for that help. Ask for that intercession. Ask the Blessed Mother to ask for the grace for you to avoid mortal sin during this day or during this night. So let's do this right now. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. O my mother, preserve me from mortal sin during this day. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. O my mother, preserve me from mortal sin during this day. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. O my Mother, preserve me from mortal sin during this day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are going to take just a very, very, very quick break here, and then when we come back, we'll be talking with John Martinoni. And uh, yeah, so there you have it. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned. Lovely lady dressed in blue, teach me how to pray. God was just your little boy, tell me what to say. Did you lift him up sometimes, gently on your knee? Did you sing to him the way mother does to me? Did you ever try telling him stories of the world? And, oh, did he cry? Do you think he cares if If I tell him things, just little things that happen, and do angels' wings make a noise? Can he hear me if I speak low? Does he understand me now? Tell me, for you know. Lovely lady dressed in blue, teach me how to pray. God was just your little boy, and you know the way. Well, as usual on Monday, we're talking with John Martinoni. And have you ever been asked this question before? Why do you Catholics pray to saints? I've been asked that question. I'm willing to bet you've been asked that question. And here to help us with a solid answer to that question is John Martinoni. John, good morning to you. How are you doing, Adam? I'm doing well. Yourself? Doing very well, thank you. So, John, how do we approach this question when someone says, why do you Catholics, you pray to saints? And you shouldn't be doing that because there's but one mediator, 
John, there's one mediator that says that in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Absolutely, Adam, and that's the verse you will get almost every single time when the question of praying to saints comes up. And let me just read that real quick. 1 Timothy 2, 5, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And they say, see, you try to make Mary a mediator, or St. Francis, or, or any of the saints up in heaven, or the angels, and, and they're not. There's only one mediator, the Word of God says. What's wrong with you Catholics? Well, here's the thing. Catholics agree. There is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So you can slam your hand down on that Bible when they show you that verse and say, Amen. As a Catholic, I believe it. However, what you don't necessarily accept is their fallible interpretation of that verse, which is, that means you can only pray to Jesus in terms of your prayer. And we say, no, in our language, pray to Mary and the saints. Why? Because we're not praying to them as if they are God or gods. We are essentially asking them to pray for us. We're asking them, in that sense, to mediate for us. But, John, it says only one mediator. That's right. But Mary and the other saints in heaven, they are members of the body of Christ, just like our fellow Christians here on earth are members of the body of Christ. So just as it's okay to ask someone here on earth to pray for you, another member of the body of Christ to pray for you, to mediate for you between man and God by praying for you, it's okay to ask the members of the body of Christ in heaven to pray for you, to mediate for you. And we have numerous examples in Scripture of people mediating for others. In Job chapter 33, it talks about Job and, and mediation. And God says in, in Job, he tells Job's friends, he said, look, I'm not happy with you guys. If you want your prayers to be heard, you take them to Job and have Job pray to me for you. Well, that's mediation. In Exodus 17, Moses, the, the Israelites, are fighting Amalek, the kingdom of Amalek. And Moses has his hands up, and while Moses has his hands up, the Israelites are winning the battle. So Moses, he's being an intermediary. He's, he's mediating between God and man. Abraham in Genesis 18, where he negotiates with God for, for Sodom, he said, what if there's 50 innocent people? Will you spare it? Yes, I'll spare it. What about 40? What about 30? What about 10? Abraham is mediating between God and men. You know, Matthew 18, 10, which talks about our, the little one's angels who are beholding the face of God. They're always in the presence of God. So the guardian angels are essentially mediating for us. And again, as well as other members of the body of Christ who pray for us. So this verse, for there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, yes, but we, as members of the body of Christ, can participate in Jesus' role as mediator. Not fully and completely and perfectly like Jesus, but as a member of his body, we can share in that mediation by praying for others, whether we're members of the body of Christ here on earth or members of the body of Christ up in heaven. Yeah, there's nothing in that verse that says we can't ask others to go to Christ and say, could you mediate on John's behalf here? Could you mediate on Adam's behalf here? It would mean a lot to me if you would. And I love your Absolutely. clear explanation of this, John. It's a great answer when you're asked, why do you Catholics 
pray to saints when there's but one mediator, we can say, well, why do you ask your friends to pray for you? It's the same exactly. exact thing. John, I want to thank you for this. And friends, as usual, if you want to hear more from John or know more about these uh, common scriptural questions that sometimes we get tripped up in, you can visit BibleChristianSociety.com, BibleChristianSociety.com. Until next Monday, John, have a great day. You as well, Adam. Prayer to the Blessed Virgin. Oh, Mary, you desire so much to see Jesus loved. If you love me, this is the favor which I ask of you, to obtain for me a great personal love of Jesus Christ. You obtain from your Son whatever you please. Pray then for me that I may never lose the grace of God, and that I may increase in holiness and perfection from day to day. By that grief which you severed on Calvary, when you beheld Jesus expire on the cross, obtain for me a happy death, that by loving Jesus and you, my mother, on earth I may receive the reward of loving and blessing you eternally in heaven. I think there's no better way than to close out today's show with a catechism here in so here is our catechist question, and it's, it's an easy one, but with a point. In what country did the Blessed Virgin Mary appear to three children named Lucia, Francisco, and Jacinta? In what country did the Blessed Virgin Mary appear to three children named Lucia, Francisco, and Jacinta? And that's, of course, the country of Portugal, where Fatima is located. And the reason we close with this question today is because it's important for us to remember that it's not just a story, a bedtime story handed down from generation to generation, but that Fatima is a real place in a real country called Portugal. And there were three children named Lucia, Francisco, and Jacinta, and the Blessed Mother did appear to them. And there was a miracle of the sun witnessed by tens of thousands. And many, many things that happened in Fatima. But the one that we need to take to heart the most today is this. The Blessed Mother asked us to pray the rosary each and every day. Each and every day. And on this day where we honor her, I can think of no more fitting way to end our show than to say that. Remember to pray your rosary each and every day. I want to leave you with this uh, final quote of the day from Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. As our love does not start with Mary, so neither does it stop with Mary. Mary is a window through which our humanity first catches a glimpse of divinity on earth. Or perhaps she is more like a magnifying glass. She intensifies our love of her son and makes our prayers more bright and burning. This venerable servant of God, Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Pray the rosary today because if you do, you'll grow closer to our Blessed Mother. And if you grow closer to her, you'll grow closer to her son. And if you grow closer to her son, can't say it enough, you'll grow closer to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. And you'll be wanting to live that life of holiness, not out of obligation, but out of love. Let's all strive for that today. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. You've been listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Pray your rosary today. We now join Catholic Connection, currently in progress.